Amen. We need the Lord's presence tonight. Go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we'll open in a word of prayer and just ask for God's presence, for God to abide with us, to visit us through His Word. His Word is His communication to us. It's what He wants us to know. It's what He wants, wants us to experience in our lives. And through His Word, we really do experience the presence, the abiding presence of the Lord. And so we need to hear from Him tonight. And so let's ask uh, humbly for God's presence and God's working through the preaching tonight. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the ability to gather together today, this morning, and again tonight, Lord, and to, to hear from you, to fellowship together, and then to open your word together and just see what you have for us. And Lord, we come to your word tonight, and Lord, we know if, if you don't visit us in your word, if, if we don't give our minds and our attention and our focus to your word tonight, it'll, it'll just be of naught. There won't be anything of any value that will come from it, Lord. But if we, if we know that if we come here tonight with a hungry heart, with a thirsty heart, that those are the prayers that you, you answer. And I pray that you would feed us and, and uh, give us from your word that which we need for our lives, even this week, that you would equip us and enable us through this time that we share together. Help me, Lord, as I open your word to be able to expound upon it properly and and rightfully divide the word of truth that it may be applicable to our lives. And we ask and pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians, we're going to go to the very first New Testament epistle that was written as far as chronologically in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, actually they were 1 and 2. The first two epistles were obviously the very first epistles that Paul wrote only about 20 or so years after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while the Apostle Paul was in the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey, and of course in that city he would plant uh, the church there at Corinth, But while he was there, in the midst of of the time while he was there, Paul began this writing ministry. And of course, uh, um, the scriptures claim that it was the Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write. But his writing ministry, the the man that the Holy Spirit would use to to write these epistles, would empower and inspire Paul. And of course, bring to us a ministry that we enjoy today. Think of the epistles starting with Romans and then going all the way to the book of Jude and how important, how significant they are to us as believers. That ministry was really begun with the Apostle Paul, with this very book that is in front of us tonight, the book of First Thessalonians. It's a book that informs us as believers of our hope, our anticipation that Christ is returning. Jesus is coming back. You can be assured of it tonight that just as he came the first time and just as he ascended up into heaven, as the angel said to the disciples, in like manner, he's going to come again. Jesus is coming back. And it's that it's that hope, it's that belief, it's that assurance that he's coming again that really enlivens us. It it, it inspires us in our in our walk with God. We look forward to that day when Jesus returns But of course, that day isn't yet. It hasn't taken place yet. And until then, how should we live? 
The Bible terms the day and age in which we live, it it terms it as the last days. We live in the last days. The return of Christ is imminent. It's the very next thing on God's calendar. It's, It's going to happen. It is imminent. But until then, how should we live? And I think the book of 1 Thessalonians really encapsulates how we should live in the last days. And that's the title I've chosen for the series, Living in the Last Days. And, and of course, we're going to look at different aspects of that. We're going to see a different aspect of that tonight. But how should we live in these last days? Let's just read the first four verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. In reading this epistle this week and a couple of times uh, uh, all the way through and, and just thinking about uh, the contents of this book, it, it really is a, a wonderful little book. There's no rebuke or correction from the Apostle Paul. It's just filled with loving encouragement. You, you can just sense the relationship that Paul enjoyed with these believers in the city of Thessalonica. You can sense his his heart for them, you can sense he, he's, he's kind of there as their cheerleader, cheering them on for Christ and, and encouraging them and strengthening them and, and helping them. And his heart is to do even more than, than he's able to do, separated by distance. But you, you really see that. And I, I think sometimes Paul gets a little bit of a rap of being like a, a, a type A sort of, you know, out there conquering and, and uh, didn't care whatever was in his path. He was just going to chug through it. And maybe he didn't, he wasn't a sentimental type or someone that would uh, kind of get emotional. But you read this book and, and it's a lot like the uh, book of Philippians where you really feel the relationship. And Paul communicates his love and his concern to this little, really, a baby church here in Thessalonica. Immediately in verse 1, we're reminded of the, this indispensable component of God's plan in our day and age during these last days. And of course, that indispensable component is the church. And Paul's writing not only to just the, the brethren in Thessalonica, but he specifically he's writing to the church that's in Thessalonica, specifically this brand new baby church in the city of Thessalonica. And it's obvious, as we just mentioned, as you read this letter, you see the special relationship that Paul had with this church. Specifically in verse 7, he says, he uses this word, so that ye, and that's that plural, you church at Thessalonica, ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God word is spread abroad, spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. This church was an example. It was an example. We could say it was a model of what a, what, what a good New Testament church ought to be. And of course, our theme this year is letting our light shine. And one of the ways that this church was a model was that as young as this little church was, 
they were, they were already in samples. They were already examples. And from their, from their, the, the, the city where they were located, the, the gospel was sounded out. And it was like, it was like a rocket got dropped in the pond and the ripples were going out and out. And they were, they were affecting not only their region, but the, the neighboring region of Achaia. And everywhere, any, anybody who knew them, they were having an impact on. What a, what a church. What a model for us. What an example for us. And even today, this church of Thessalonica is an example for us to follow. And so let's look at that example in three different ways. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 1 the founding of this church. He just says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. First, he starts right in the beginning with this church's evangelists. He mentions Paul, of course, that being himself. Silvanus which is the, the, the formal way of saying Silas. So you got Paul and Silas. And of course, Timotheus, also the formal way of referring to Timothy, someone that we know uh, a, a great deal about. So you have Paul and Silas and Timothy. The men who are sending this letter were the very men who labored in starting this church. It was Paul, it was Silas, it was Timothy. Now, this missionary journey started with Paul and Barnabas back in Acts chapter 15. Uh, it's known as Paul's second missionary journey. Um, and he uh, uh, um, embarked on this journey to confirm the churches. Acts 15, 41. You'll read about that, how they needed to go and to uh, go back to the places they went to on their first journey. And that's how the second missionary journey started. They were confirming these churches all throughout Asia Minor. Um, while they were traveling, they went through the cities of Derby and Lystra. And there they met up with this young man named Timothy who, who was well spoken of and, and was a great example to the churches that were there, the believers that were there. And Paul says, boy, Timothy, I really want you to travel with us. And Timothy joined the team. And the, the second missionary journey continued on. Paul had great intentions to go into the north and to the east. You'll remember this, the Macedonian call. He wanted to go, of course, uh, if you kind of think of the, uh, the right-hand side of the map, was kind of where they were. They were headed north, and he wanted to go into Asia, to the, to the east, to the right. And God would not allow them. And so he wanted to go maybe to the north, and God says, no, that's not where I have for you. And then came the Macedonian call, the vision that Paul received in the night of the man from Macedonia. And you see the region that's marked there it would have been to the west. He received that, that vision and assuredly gathered that God was calling them to the west, to the area of Macedonia. At that time, Luke joins them and joins the team. So you have Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke now all uh, together, traveling together. And God had specific plans for going to this region. There were three specific cities where there was a work to be done. And you're familiar with many of them. Philippi. Uh, the book of Philippians was written to them. Thessalonica, of course, the one we're looking at tonight. Berea is another important city where a, a church was planted in this region of Macedonia. So God had great plans for them and God was preparing the ground for them to reach into those places. Of course, the first city that they, first major city that they visited was Philippi and a church was planted in that city in spite of uh, the memorable night in the prison. Some of you may remember Paul and Silas. Uh, imprisoned and singing at midnight and the earthquake and how God sprang them from, from, the, from the prison and God saved the Philippian jailer and his family and how God worked in that city. 
Uh, of course, after that uh, experience in the jail, the, the people of the city were like, we would like you to leave, all right? Could you please go somewhere else? And so they moved on about 100 miles to the west. It's almost due west, Philippi to Thessalonica along the, along the coast. And they began the work there, planting a church in the city of Thessalonica. But I just want to point out here, we've listed a lot of names. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. All four of these men were what the Bible calls evangelists. They were God-called evangelists. They were men who were given the task of taking the gospel, of preaching the gospel to the regions beyond. It's not like it's a newsflash, but it is something that we need to take a step back as a church and remember tonight. We cannot plant churches without God-called evangelists. That's where it really begins. And if we as a church have a heart to see churches planted, to see the gospel go forth, then we need laborers to go into the harvest. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, you're familiar with this verse, but he says, there, uh, he says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. This is something that if you've been around Lehigh Valley Baptist Church for any length of time, you know, we've been blessed to experience. We understand that the gift of the evangelists and those that are called by God to be evangelists are gifts from God, Ephesians chapter 4. Gifts to the church. It's kind of like handing Lehigh Valley Baptist Church a box with a bow on it. This gift is for you. And of course, God intends that gift to be used to reach the world with the gospel. Amen. We've been able to see that in the past. And it's been a blessing over the past couple of years. God has used us to, to go and, and to, uh, to help other churches. Um, to fill the pulpits of other churches, whether that is in Zambia or whether that's up in Bloomsburg or rejoicing over Brother Sam going to Arkansas and how God's doing all of that. And and that is a, a reaping of the labors of the past. But see, God God's not content, or we ought not to be content, I should say it this way. God wants to do more. God wants us to do more. And in order for that to take place, we need more laborers. We need more men. And you say, well, I'm pretty sure God hasn't called me to go. God hasn't called me to be that in the ministry or in the place of an evangelist. You still have a role. It ought to be your heartbeat. It ought to be your prayer. God, would you raise up laborers to go from Lehigh Valley Baptist Church? Would you call more young men? Would you call more old men? Both can both work, all right? Would you call men to go? Without evangelists... The work of evangelism across this world suffers greatly. And I, and I think God is not done with us. He has future plans. And we ought to pray, God, from our midst, would you bring up those men? Would you help us to train them? Would you help us to equip them? Would you help us to support them so that they can fill needs, whether that's in, around our country or around the world? That ought to be our heartbeat. We can learn a lesson from the founding of this church and her evangelists. We can also learn a lesson from her beginning. And I just want you to kind of put your finger here. Go back to the book of Acts. And let's read the story of how this church was planted. Acts chapter 17 tells us all about it. Acts 17, we'll just read the first 10 verses of that, of that chapter. Acts 17 and verse 1. 
This is immediately following the ministry in Philippi. And in verse 1, Acts 17, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, those two towns, uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, were two regions. I should bring my map up here back. There we go. Uh, Two cities in between Philippi and Thessalonica. So they passed through those two cities. They come to Thessalonica, and what's remarkable here wasn't necessarily the case in Philippi. Philippi did not have a Jewish population, but Thessalonica did. And so when Paul found that there was a synagogue there, verse 2, it says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So he goes to the synagogue, where the Jewish people were congregating, gathering, and he begins preaching and reasoning with them. Verse 3, Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, And that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Hey, Jewish people, fellow brethren, I know the Messiah. It's Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the one. And He died on the cross, but God raised Him from the dead. He is the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that we've been looking for. Verse 4, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So we see there that some, some of those Jews, believed. And like we heard this morning, they automatically had, a, had some new people they wanted to hang out with. They consorted with Paul and Silas. They wanted to be with them. So there were some Jews. There was also some devout Greeks. And probably that's referencing those who were of a Greek heritage, but were, were proselytes. They, they were practicing the Jewish religion. And they believed as well. Some of them And then there was also a group of these chief women. Now, I don't know who these ladies were, but obviously they were of some significance and some importance. They heard the message and they said, Paul is speaking the truth. This is what we need. This is what we need to hear. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one. He is the Savior. And they believed. Now, somewhere between verse 4 and 5, there's an intervening period of time. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why I believe that to be the case Um, First of all, I believe that because Paul labored physically to support the evangelistic team, and he talks about doing that in Thessalonica. In other words, he talks about working a job and doing his craft, a tent-making craft, so that he could preach the gospel freely and those who are with him could take care of that. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9. Uh, Also during this time in Thessalonica, Paul would receive two different love offerings from Philippi. They would send once and again to his need while he was in Thessalonica. So there was a little bit of period of time here, although not very long. Probably not much longer than a few months that Paul spent here in this city. And of course, Satan did not like what was going on. And immediately in verse 5, we read about the opposition. The Jews, they don't like what's happening. It takes them some time, but they gather together a multitude Uh, Move with envy in verse 5. It says, They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. What a description of these guys. The Kind of the the lower echelon. Ones that you could just flip a couple bucks to and they'll do whatever you want them to do. And of course, they start an uproar. They gathered a company and set the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. And Jason would have been one of the early converts. And actually, interestingly enough, he would become a preacher that would be trained out of this church. But that's uh, another subject for another time. Uh, Verse 6, when they found them not, they were looking for Paul and Silas and and the team there. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren 
unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these do all contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. So Satan didn't like what was going on. And opposition forced Paul and Silas and Timothy to leave. And Paul describes this in uh, chapter 2, verse 17, when he's writing to uh, these, the believers. He said it was like being taken from them. And you can really sense his heart, that he had more that he wanted to do, but he was taken from them due, due to the opposition of Satan. And so the missions team would move on from Thessalonica to Berea next. And of course, some of you are familiar with what happened there. There were believers uh, that, were, that were one to Christ in that location. Um, but I, I, I maybe jump one step ahead. What did, they, what did Paul and the team leave behind when they left Thessalonica? Well, they left behind a church. A church that is described in 1 Thessalonians as an evangelistic church. A steadfast church in the face of persecution. A church that raised up God-called men like Jason, like Aristarchus, Secundus in Acts chapter 20. It mentions both of those names. They came from this church in this city. And even in chapter 5, we're told that somehow this church of the Thessalonians had multiple pastors that were ministering in that church. Just from a couple months of Paul's ministry. And, and honestly, my mind is a little bit blown by that. Like how in the world did it... But it happened. It happened. God did amazing work there. Even though Paul and the team had to, had to move on. And so the team would move on to Berea. Where Paul would be forced then... Because Jews would come from Thessalonica and stir up trouble again. And so he would have to move on from Berea. Um, he left uh, Silas and Timothy there behind. And he went alone... To, to Athens, and there it was agreed that they would meet up together. Um, of course, some of you are familiar with the sermon at Mars Hill that took place in the city of Athens while Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy. Um, but after they got back together, Paul was so burdened for the believers in Thessalonica that he would send Timothy back to that city. And you can read about that. We'll get to that in our study in chapter 3. He references how he sent Timothy back. Um, to, uh, to, to meet their needs and to help them. And Timothy would return then to Paul with a glowing report of all that was taking place there. You can see that in uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have a good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, and we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all of our affliction and distress by your faith. And so Paul was so excited about hearing from Timothy how well they were doing and, and, and what they were accomplishing for the Lord there that immediately he begins writing this letter to a church that was only six months to a year old. I would call that a, a baby church. They'd just gotten started. But yet God was using them in a powerful way. So we learn something. We don't have to be, you know, we don't have to have all the resources in order to be used by God. We don't have to have all of the, the years of experience and all the, the, the money and, and things built up. They were used right away, right out of the gate. We can learn some lessons from her beginning, but also from her location. In verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. 
Their city, their physical city, was the city of Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was a rather important city. At the time of Paul's visit, the, the, the population was estimated to be about 200,000 people. So that's a fairly large city. Just think of Allentown. Officially, Allentown population is only like 125. Now, I know that doesn't account the regions around it. But just to give you an idea, this was a large, a large city, an important city. It was one of four regional capitals of Macedonia. And if we go back, uh, you see the Macedonian region in the, in the north. And Thessalonica was one of four regional capitals, capitals of that, that, that area. It was located on a significant road called the Ignatian Way. And it was a strategic roadway across Macedonia from the west all the way over to the east and into Asia. And so that was the reason for its importance. It was also a strategic seaport right on the Aegean Sea. Um, it had access to, to, to water uh, um, um, transportation. That's the word I'm looking for, transportation. And so that was another reason why it was an important city. We've already read that it had a large enough Jewish population to have a synagogue. And there was enough Jews to cause a stir to set the city on, on edge and get Paul and his team kicked out. So there was a large Jewish population, but there was, an all, there was also a large idolatrous Gentile population. In fact, not very far away, only 50 miles away, was Mount Olympus. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Mount Olympus, the home of the gods, where the Greek gods came from. And of course, Thessalonica is a city in the shadow of that mountain. And so, you think... They, they had opposition from unbelieving Jews. They had opposition from idolatrous uh, uh, pagans who, who were worshiping their false gods. And yet still this little church flourished. Even today, think of this, the city of Thessalonica. It's, it's still a city. It's called, um, let's see if I remember this right, Salonica. Salonica in Greece. And it's the second largest city in all of Greece. So there's your uh, free trivia uh, throw in there. Um, but this city, of, that was the physical location of this church. But did you notice in verse 1 that God actually clues us in to not just the physical location, but also the spiritual location? He says, I'm writing unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's interesting. Paul says, you as a church, Thessalonians, your church is in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell you what, that's a place of importance. A place of significance that you would be in God and in Christ. And you know, as a, as a New Testament church, Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, we are in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place of significance. It's a place of importance. It's also a place of safety. We're in Him. He protects us. And even this church, all around our enemies all around our persecutors. And they would go through their share of persecution. We'll see that as we go along. But God was still protecting them. They were in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. The founding of this church. We move on in verse number 1. We also see not only the founding, but the need of this church. Paul says, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the need. What did they need? Well, it's the same things that we need today. They needed grace. Grace is God's favor. It's God's goodwill. It's God's help when we don't deserve it. We need God's grace. 
And this grace comes from our Father. Signifies our relationship with Him. He is our Father. There's a family relationship that binds us together. Grace comes from our Lord, our our Master. The one that we submit to. And grace comes from our Savior. The one who rescued us from sin. We need God's grace. No church can be strong. No church can function properly without the favor and blessing of God. Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, we need the favor and blessing of God. It's not enough to have systems in place. It's not enough to have ministries in place. It's not enough to just, we we do church. We know how to do church. We know what we're supposed to do. No, we need the grace of God. We need God's help. The convicting question is, How often do we go about doing church stuff without asking for the help of God? I've got this. We've sung that song. I've I've got this. I've taught this class. I've got this. I've led this table. I've got this. I've gone on outreach in this area before. Do we need God's grace? If we need it, then why aren't we asking for it? Perhaps the fact that we don't ask indicates to us our true heart's belief. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm preaching at me. Perhaps that indicates the fact that I don't really believe I need it. I kind of think that I got this. I'll be okay. We need God's grace. This church needed grace and Paul says, I want God's grace to be upon you. Grace be to you. And then he mentions the need of peace. Grace and peace. This church needed peace. Peace on a personal level. Each individual believer. Of course, the peace of God. That starts, of course, with the peace with God. All right, The fact that your relationship with God is settled. Your sin has been forgiven. It's underneath the blood of Christ. But then the peace of God as you walk with Him. You need that on a personal level. But you know, we also need that on a corporate level. We need corporate peace. The church of Thessalonica was birthed in a time of great persecution. And it continued on in persecution even after Paul and the team had left. They needed God's peace to face it. They needed what it meant to be a follower of Christ in their location. He mentions this in chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have the Jews. He said, You suffered just like them. But you know what? Even through suffering, even through difficulty, even through hardship, we can have peace. We can experience the peace of God. We ought to pray for each other in that way. As we go through difficult times, as we face difficult circumstances, a good prayer request, God, would you help them to experience your peace? We need that. We ought to be in prayer for that. We need the grace of God. We need the peace of God. And along with that, in verse number 2, it says, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you, In our prayers, we need prayer. We mentioned this this morning. Pastor Roland talked about it this morning. We need prayer. Our church needs thankful prayers. 
This is a whole lot better than complaining about all the things that we don't like about our church. There's always going to be something to complain about because our church is made up of people who are imperfect. There's always going to be things that we don't like. There's always going to be things that might rub us the wrong way. Probably what's more necessary for us, what's more beneficial for us, is giving thanks to God for allowing us to be a part of one of His churches. Giving thanks to God for the provision of a church in this location that God has allowed us to be a part of. There's thankful prayers. And then I believe there's also, you see that in verse number 1, there's also prayers for the church's vitality. Vitality prayers, I put it that way. That's what Paul was praying for. The strength and health and vitality of the church. Do you know that your church needs your prayers? How often do we pray for our church? In this case, we could say technically this wasn't Paul's home church. But it was so important for him that he said, I'm I'm making mention of you. I'm giving thanks for you. Always. It's just a continual thing. Whenever I think about the believers in Thessalonica, whenever I think about the church of the Thessalonians, I'm praying for them. I'm I'm thanking God for them and I'm praying for their health, their vitality, their success, and their ministry to God. The need of grace, the need of peace, and the need of prayer. One more thing tonight before we close. We saw the founding of this church, the need of this church, but I also want you to notice the practice. Maybe we could even say the pattern. Here's the pattern that we find in verse 3 and 4. He says, One of the reasons why I was praying is because of what I, what I saw myself and what I heard from Timothy and how I remember in verse 3. I'm remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father and our Father, knowing brethren, Beloved, your election of God. Paul was praying because of what he had seen and heard. And you'll notice he mentions three things. Faith, love, and hope. Same, thing, same three things that he mentions in 1 Corinthians 13. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. Same thing. But notice how he, he mentions them. And I, I believe here is the pattern. These things ought to mark a New Testament church. These things marked when Paul thought the church of the Thessalonians. These were the things that he thought of. And if Lehigh Valley Baptist Church is going to be healthy, if it's going to have vitality, if it's going to be used of God, these three things ought to mark us. What are the three things? Well, first of all, there is the work of faith. And you know when you step back and think about it, you see the truth that it is faith That stirs a church to work. The work of faith. Faith causes us to work. The word work means a course of conduct which springs from a belief, which springs from faith. Even James in James 2 and verse 20 says, faith without works is dead. So faith, if it's real, if it's genuine, it produces a work. It produces an action. When we believe God, we will act upon what He has said. And if we're not acting on what He said, then that means that we really don't believe what He said. Now, this begins at salvation. 
Jesus said in John 6 and verse 29, this is the work of God. What? What's the work of God? That you believe on Him whom He has sent. Alright, so you believe in who Jesus is and that causes you to, to do, it causes you to trust in Him. It causes you to put your faith in Him. It causes you to turn away, repent of your sin and turn to, to God, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts with salvation, faith that produces a work, but you know what? It continues on. You know, if we believe that God is at work, if we believe that God is who He claims to be, we believe God's plan as He has laid it forth in the Scriptures, if we believe that He's at work in this world, then we'll do what He says and get to work. If we really believe that. The problem is not that we're not doing enough. The problem is probably a little bit upstream of that. We really don't believe in our heart of hearts that God is doing a work in this day and that He wants to involve us in it. We really don't believe that. Because faith stirs a church to work. Not only that, He mentions the labor of love. Love stirs a church to labor. Now, labor is a little bit different than work. The primary definition for the word labor is a beating. Some of you might have put in some days at work in which you came home and you felt like, I got a beating. I got beat up today. That's the kind of labor, the intense labor, united with trouble and toil. I like this um, from Thayer's. It says, labor to which love prompts and which, will volunt- which voluntarily assumes and endures trouble and pains for the salvation of others. Now, if you're going to work and be involved in the ministry of holding forth your light, of being a witness, of reaching out to others, not only with the gospel, but then as the Great Commission talks about also discipling, if you're going to be involved with people and and in that ministry, then you better get used to some labor. Because it takes some labor. There'll be times in which you'll feel like you got a beating. Like you got beat up. You'll feel like, what good was that? You know, I I, I did all of that to to get to, to visitation, to outreach tonight. And you know what? I just felt like I just got, I got beat up the whole way. What good was that? There are going to be some times when you'll feel that. What do you need at that point? Well, remember, it's love that stirs a church to labor. Love. A heart of love for God enables us to labor. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. And that's not holds us back. It's, it's the motivating. It's the fuel that keeps us going, keeps us laboring. Love for God and love for others. Love for our Lord and Savior, but also love for the souls in need. Love for the souls that, that need the truth of the Word of God. Love for souls who need to be discipled, who need to apply God's truth to their life so that they can, they can go on and live for God. That takes some labor. And if we're going to labor, it's going to need to be fueled by a love of God and a love for people. And of course, that's a natural byproduct of the greatest commandment, right? Loving God and loving others. Faith will cause us to work. Love will cause us to labor. 
But you know what? He mentions hope. And hope will cause us to endure. He says your patience of hope. Whenever you see the word patience in the Bible, biblical patience, just mark it down. Patience equals endurance. This is after you got beat up a little bit. This is after you put in some work. This is when you're tired. This is when you're wore out. This is when you're thinking, I don't know what good I'm doing. I don't know what good this ministry is. No one's seeing it. No one's appreciating it. Nothing good is coming out of it. Well, now we get to patience of hope. The hope that causes us to endure. To keep on going. To be faithful. And what are we hoping in? Well, he says we're hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically, he's referring to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And you know what? You might not be appreciated like you think you ought to be appreciated. But you know what? When Christ comes back, when he returns, um, all the accounts will be brought to zero. Everything will be settled. And you know what? If you really honestly and truly are not getting the recognition that you deserve, well, God's going to one day rectify that. He's going to fix that. If that's truly the case, all right? If we're truly serving Him, then He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God doesn't lose records. God doesn't say, you know what, I, I, I forgot you did that, or I didn't notice that. No, God sees everything. We're going to see that in just a second. We can have endurance because we know that Jesus is coming again. And all, th- all three of these, and I knew it was coming, it was right there in my notes, right? Are where in the sight? Did you see that in verse 3? In the sight of God and our Father. Are you working? Are you laboring? Are you enduring? If you are, it's in the sight of God. God sees and God rewards. This is the pattern that we see in this church. And I will point out all three of these things are because of what Paul mentions in verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And don't let that word election scare you. All of what he had mentioned before, the work of God in them was because God had chosen them. And the reason that God had chosen them was because they had responded to the gospel. They had come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, and because they had, God said, I've chosen you. You know, if you're a believer here tonight, if you if you come to salvation, then God says, I've chosen you. You are one of my elect. I've chosen you, as he mentions the word brethren. I've chosen you uh, to my family. In John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. You receive Christ, you receive the gift of salvation, and God says, you're one of mine, I'm your father, you're one of my sons. You get that relationship. And then you're also chosen not only as brethren, but also as beloved brethren. Because you come to Christ, because you receive the gift of salvation, you become part of His own elect. I love how he says that in Luke 18. Shall not God avenge His own elect? You belong to Him. You have a special relationship with Him. And because of that, because now you are in the family of God, you're, you're, you're beloved of God, now we share that relationship in common as a church, don't we? And that's specifically what Paul is pointing out. Members of Lehigh Valley Baptist Church here tonight, you look around the room, and you ought to see brethren. You ought to see beloved brethren. Not those that you disapprove of, 
Not those that you sit back and say, well, I don't like the choices they're making. No, they're your brethren. And they ought to be beloved by you. You ought to love them. Which, what is love? Oh, it's not necessarily just the good feelings of I love hanging out with them. But it is I put their needs in front of my own. And that's the love we don't like. That's the love that costs. That's the love that demands sacrifice. But if we're all in the same family, we are elect. We ought to love each other. This is the pattern. The work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope was a direct result of God's work in them as a result of salvation. The good work that was begun in them was being performed until the day of Jesus Christ. We can be confident as we look at each other. I know it's sometimes hard, but if we're believers, God has begun the work and He will continue the work until He returns. So tonight, I don't think it's any mistake that the theme of today's preaching has been the New Testament church and our function, our role in the New Testament church. So as you think about yourself, what role are you fulfilling in the New Testament church in Emmaus, the church of God? I don't know if we would be called the Emmausites or whatever. The church of God in Emmaus. Are you a part of this church? That's a question to consider. It's an important question. Does God want you here? The Bible, the Bible clearly teaches that it is God that places the members within the body. As you look for a church, perhaps there's some of you here looking for a church, but as you look for a church, it ought not to be, what do I like about this place? Uh, what kind of things am I going to get if I go here? What kind of feeling do I get if I go here? It ought to be, God, where do you have me? And when that, answer, when that question is answered, you ought to join yourself to that body of believers. That's God's will. Are you a part of this church? You say, well, I'm a part. I'm, I'm a church member. I've been a church member for a long time. Well, can I ask you, what role are you fulfilling in this church? What work are you doing? What labor are you participating in? What endurance are you going through for the cause of Christ through the ministries of this church? What's your ministry? What are you involved in? It's so easy to get sort of an insular viewpoint. It's just all about me and myself and my needs and my family and my job. And Okay, but God has called you to be a part of a body, a part of a church. And He's called you to labor, to work, to put some endurance in when you don't feel like it. What role are you fulfilling in this church? And perhaps maybe you say, well, I'm not sure God really has me here. Well, find where God has you. Join that church get involved and find a place of ministry. That is God's will for you. And we see before us tonight a church that they experienced true salvation. The work of God. The work of faith. And though they were only perhaps as young as a year old in the Lord. That church only been in existence for a year. We find them doing incredibly remarkable things for the Lord. That's not just because they were you know, corporately a great church. It was because they had individual members who were responding to God, responding to the truth, 
getting involved and saying, God, what, would you, what, what, what do you have me to do? Where do you want me to serve? Where can I get plugged in and be a part? And when we're doing that corporately, God can do some great things like he did through this church. How should we live in these last days? Well, we should fulfill our role in one of the Lord's churches. And what a blessing it is to be able to do so. 